You're listening to the Well-Tempered Wireless on 90.9 FM. And tonight at 8 o'clock in Orchestra Hall, the music of John Williams will come forth off the stage with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, conducted by my guest, associate conductor. I think I got that right finally. Yes. I keep getting associate and assistant confused. It's all very confusing but all Michelle the time. Michelle Merrill is here live. Welcome back. One, Thanks, Chris. One more time. Yeah. As a, but you'll come back. I'll come back in July. So I have the final week in July when we're doing the neighborhood chamber concerts. But, uh, but after that, when but, you've... You'll be a guest conductor. I'll be a guest conductor then. Yeah, I hope so. I hope to be back. Yeah, so do we. So do we. In case you haven't uh, heard, um, Michelle has accepted a position as music director for the Coastal Symphony of Georgia, and her first season is next season, and we'll talk about that uh, in a few minutes. But um, uh, the thing that I wanted to find out was how did – Friday night football uh, be a launching pad for you as a conductor. Oh gosh, well, in, you know, I grew up in Texas, and Texas is football. I don't know if any, if you or any of your listeners are familiar with the show Friday Night Lights. Of course, but it's it's not that far off from what Texas culture is on Friday nights in especially small towns like the one I grew up in, where basically everything shuts down and you go to the football game. And my dad was a semi-pro football player when he was younger. My mom was very into sports as well. Um, but with, with football in Texas also comes marching band. And so for me, I was bored out of my mind going to these football games. <laughs> but I knew that the halftime would come and the marching band would get on the field. And of course, they're playing little things throughout the whole game. But I was looking forward to halftime like no, nothing else. And, you know, I would watch the drum majors and they're up there beating time and, and conducting. And I would want to conduct along with them. And really, because a lot of Texas marching bands, they'll take music from the classical repertoire, say, you know, Festive Overture by Shostakovich, and they'll put it on the field. That was, in some ways, my first introduction to classical music. And so Mm. it was just my way to kind of enjoy the music. And I looked forward to those football games because of that. And then halftime would end, and I'd be bored again but <laughs> I had to, I got to look forward to the the next week but that was really probably the first times I can remember conducting along to something is to these halftime shows by the by the Canton High School marching band and one thing led to another and, and here you are and yeah. you've been with the symphony now for this is the fourth my fourth season fourth season yeah and among your duties uh, you spent a lot of time with young people yes with students and in schools and young people's concerts um, I wanted to ask you, have you, the interactions you've had with young people, what was your most memorable encounter with oh. someone who's seen you up there on stage? Man, that's a tough question. I mean, I think I, the thing I remember most is not an actual encounter I had, but I remember the very first, it was my third week here. And it was the very first webcast, the very first educational webcast, because the DSO had just gotten this grant from the um, um, Mandela Madeline Berman Foundation to do webcasts of the education concerts. And they were doing a big poll of the students afterward. And they went to a couple of second graders and they were asking them how they liked the concert and what other kind of music they listened to. And they said, you know, things like Beyonce. And they said, well, who do you think's better, the DSO or Beyonce? And they're like, Probably the DSO. And, you know, what kind of compliment is that coming from two little second graders? So that wasn't a personal interaction I had, but I remember reading that after the fact of the concert happening and having a little bit of pride in that, that we gave them 
an experience that they would remember and kind of connect to. But for me, I love seeing the faces and I would always try to go out after the concert and, you know, shake hands, take pictures with the different classrooms and let them, you know, ask me questions or tell me their favorite piece of the day because that kind of broke down the fourth wall for them and made it more accessible. And I always wanted to make do the best I could to make the music and the musicians be the most accessible they could so that the kids could see themselves maybe doing that one day. Or even if they didn't go into music, see themselves coming back to concerts and being, as I like to say, professional listeners for the rest of their life. Well, you've always been very good communicating with the audience as well as the musicians. And I have to believe that over those four years that you've been doing those concerts, there must be hundreds of girls who've seen you up there and said, gee, maybe I could do that. I hope so. And and that's, a, that's another story. Again, I didn't witness personally, but I remember once my husband was in the audience for one of the performances of an education, and he said he looked out during one of the conducting demos, and he noticed so many little girls were conducting along, even <laughs> the pieces after the conducting demo, whereas the little boys weren't. And he found that really interesting. That's that the girls were seeing themselves, and not necessarily the boys, even though it's this, you know, a lot of people say male-dominated profession, but because of who was up there, myself yeah. being represented, the girls would associate with that and well, were trying to mimic me, which which also gave me a lot of, a lot of pride of and a lot of love because I, I like that they could see that and see themselves doing that one day well, meanwhile boys just because a girl's up on the podium doesn't mean you can't exactly conduct, you, you know, can do it too that's right <laughs> my guest is michelle merrill uh associate conductor of the detroit symphony orchestra you can see her tonight doing harry potter uh, tickets still available yes. but they're going dso.org and then your swan song with the the dso is in July, July 19, 20, 21, and 22nd. That's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday at Neighborhood Concerts uh, all over the area doing uh, uh, some Benjamin Britten, the Simple Symphony. I love the Simple oh, Symphony. It's so great. That is such a, a, a well-crafted piece of music. And a Mozart aria and a Mendelssohn Symphony, the Mendelssohn yes. Symphony Number 1. So you can find out tickets for that as well at dso.org. Uh, your day as you get ready for a concert, I mean, there's a certain portion of what you have to do, of course, is going to be rehearsals, but you also study scores a lot. Yes. About 80 to 90% of my job is just sitting in a room working on music. Really? That oh, much? a lot. I mean, many, many hours just pouring over the score, not only deciding and figuring out how the music works, especially if it's a new piece and kind of getting the overall architecture, but then with pieces for like Beethoven, Mendelssohn, Britain, the the Mozart coming up, really thinking about the phrasing and how I think the phrasing should go and what I think the composer is intending and the balance of things in my head. Um, and especially after a rehearsal, going back through the score and thinking like, oh, what what do we need to fix? What do we need to make better? Not that, not that it doesn't sound great, especially with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, but there's always things. Is the difference between a cook and a chef, and we're trying to make this perfect meal mm. for the for the listener to eat with their ears in a way and so kind of perfecting the different spices and the different balances and things like that and how the turn of a phrase happens and there's a lot of time spent kind of pouring over the score even after rehearsal to figure out kind of how to make these nuances happen well i'd, I'd like to try an experiment and and this isn't really fair because i didn't warn you about this oh no and we're live so it might not work but uh right there on the desk is sure. are the scores of uh, several beethoven symphonies 
Could you demonstrate to us what you do when you study a score? I mean, could you just sort of talk through? Oh, sure. Well, the okay, I have a really funny habit. It, so I know these, but if it, it is still a new, it would be a new score to me. So I have this very, it's very ritualistic, and it comes from my conducting teacher because his mother, I believe, worked in a library. And so if I have a brand new score, the first thing I do is I go and I open the page and I will make it go flat and I'll do it from the backside too and then every single page of the score I'll go and flatten out and that for me is this just very ritualistic thing Michelle it, Michelle is now flattening the pages <laughs> of the score and then and then what I do is I go through because a lot of times like in a score like this you have if you've ever seen a score it can be a full page but sometimes it'll be two two staves on a page mm-hmm. separated and I always draw an orange line between those because again, it just helps me see. Yeah. Especially if it's a if it's a very more contemporary work. Sometimes you're you want your eyes to be able to find the next place you're supposed to go as easily as possible. And then I go through and I yellow all the percussion. Don't ask me why I chose yellow. They just stick out, and I maybe it has something why? to do with gold and symbols and things like that. Why did you choose percussion? Oh, because percussion um, are always playing all the time, and so I want those to stick out. And so I always huh. do. I always do that. So that's what I call fold orange and yellow foy. And so I always do that <laughs> with every with every score right at the. That's the first thing I do is get that out on the table, and then I'll go through. And a lot of times I'll have my um, piano next to me, and I'll play through phrases. You know, I'll have listened to a couple of recordings if it's a piece that has been done. You know, just to get. A lot of times we know this music, but sometimes it's just nice while I'm doing my folding, oranging, and yellowing to kind of listen to the music as I'm doing that. And then I'll go through, and um, for a piece like Beethoven, I'll play through the the opening phrases. So I'll do one phrase at a time. You play them at the piano. I play them at the piano a lot of times. Sometimes if I know the piece, like if I'm coming back to Beethoven 5, I know it well enough that I can just kind of look at it phrase by yeah. phrase and know what's going on. But say if it's a, when I was working on Gabriella Elena Frank's new piece that we premiered in um, 2015, I think, her Walkabout Concerto for Orchestra, that, that was brand new. So I definitely had to play through all of that to know what was going on. But I'll go through and kind of phrase by phrase, figure out what's going on mark entrances i always mark in purple again my my scores sometimes look like a coloring book because i do that's how i see things is by by marking them myself and figuring out kind of how that goes but then as phrase by phrase goes on i start to see kind of the structure of the piece especially with um a classic symphony like beethoven i really like it when i can get to the recapitulation and a sonata movement form because then what Beethoven does is he'll change things ever so slightly and for me I like to see those differences because those are the things I like to bring out the second time it comes Mm. around like he might have it uh, an entrance in the clarinet the first time and then an entrance in the bassoon the second time so for me I'm spending a lot of time once I've finally gone through the movement and gotten things in my head figuring out kind of these fun little quirks that are in the music and try to trying to bring those out or maybe there's this gorgeous viola line that um, I want to make sure is balanced a little bit up in the mix of yeah, the orchestra yeah so so that's that's a lot of what I do when I'm studying a score is getting the music in my head especially those inner voices because we can all go away and we can hum the melody and, and a lot of times even sometimes the bass line but it's these inner voices that I really want to bring out and figure out in my mind and bring it all together well, well there, there's your first lesson in conducting, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny that you mentioned those inner voices. I like to listen to music sometimes, ignoring the melody. Oh, yeah. 
and just pay attention to uh, the bass or the or the cellos or there's such great music written in those those inner voices and sometimes a lot of times if you've grown up listening to this since you were a kid yeah. things that come out and you didn't realize that were there when you finally get to start working on the music yourself and that's what's funny too about pieces especially Brahms if you've grown up listening to the music and then you go to study the score sometimes it takes you a while to flip it in your head because you've heard it a certain way where you mm. think the downbeat is somewhere and then it'll actually be somewhere else so you have to retrain your brain to hear it the correct way well like the the first beat Beethoven, Beethoven's fifth yeah. is silence <laughs> yep right it's a rest oh yeah and that is for conductors there is a lot of work in workshops and just with conducting teachers of how to do that first bar because it's very hard to get together sometimes for orchestras and and whether you give you know some people give a one two ba, 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 ba. some people go fast some people go slow some people had a Gustav Meyer actually used to say just lift so you lift and go. And uh, he's like, don't go down first, just lift. And um, I'll always remember that because he worked with everybody. Because we would we were at a workshop with him once and people would get up and all they had to do was conduct the first bar of Beethoven 5. And, you know, they would make some movement where their hand accidentally went down first instead of just lifting before giving the, the, the downbeat. And he was like, no, you can't do that. Lift only lift. <laughs> so uh, it's a wow. tricky, it's a tricky symphony that that especially that first movement because, like you said, so many things are coming off the beat where there's silence. Yeah, and we're so used to playing on downbeats that when you have to play off of that beat, it's it's uh, da, 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 da. yes, yeah, uh, da, 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 da. It's yeah, not da da da, but yeah, yeah, yeah. When when uh, Antal Dorati was doing the Beethoven symphonies for PBS in Detroit. The director, who was an Academy Award winner, uh, after the, the performance, they were doing retakes uh-huh. of that first opening of oh. Beethoven's Fifth, and they did it over and over and over. And finally, he said, the director, that is, said, tell there isn't a symphony orchestra in the world that can get that right. <laughs> I know. Well, and then, then there's so much debate and even in a lifetime, I mean, I might do it one way. I tend to be a, a little bit more on the side of it needs to be da 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 da. And you know, if you listen to some of the old recordings, it's bum 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 bum, yeah. really slow. And that's that's all about interpretation too, and how you think it should go. And then sometimes, as a conductor, if you've done the piece more than once, sometimes you just want to try it a different way and see yeah. maybe it is, yeah. maybe it should be faster, maybe it should be the slower way. So that's the the really exciting thing for me as a conductor coming back to a piece I've done before because it's like coming back to an old friend but you're learning new things every time and you're going to experiment yeah. different ways you're going to have a totally new experience you're not going to have the same meal every single time you're going to change up the spice a little bit it's it's funny how something that's been with you for so many years can still have surprises oh, and you go, look at this definitely uh, and you've been busy outside of uh, the Detroit Symphony Orchestra you've been at the, the Round Top Music Festival mm-hmm. That was great. It's the first time I'd worked with students in a long time uh, because I actually have two degrees in education, in music education as well. But it had been a long time since I'd worked with kind of students of the very high caliber that are looking to do their careers in music. And it was a celebration of Joan Tower. Uh, She had her 80th birthday and they flew her down. We did three of her pieces. And then the second half was Bartok Concerto for Orchestra. So a real easy concert. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And Joan Tower, though, she's a hoot. Oh, she's hilarious. I mean, she's she's eighty, and she's very, very sprightly. I mean, she's she's got ideas. She knows exactly what she wants. She gets around great. She does not seem like an eighty-year-old. That's for sure. Yeah, I 
I hope yeah. that that's in our and future. And it was really funny. The first thing she did at the rehearsal is when she came to our first rehearsal, she said, I'm sorry for all the counting because her music just requires in such intense concentration because she'll write yeah. quarter note triplets over the bar line or eighth note tri- all sorts of things, having to switch up your counting internally so that you can be together. Well, and, and in most cases, this will be music that the orchestra is not familiar with. Oh, I don't think anybody had played any of the Joan Tower pieces. And I think in the orchestra, I know it, of the viola section, there was only one of the violas that had ever done the Bartok Concerto for Orchestra before, and it has such a huge viola oh, part, especially goodness. in that third movement. It really is a concerto for oh, orchestra. Oh, it really is. Everybody and gets it, a workout. But it was a really, they worked so hard, and they did a really great job, and the, the concert, I think, was very fulfilling for everyone involved. Oh, good for so. you. Good for you. And uh, meanwhile, by the way, I'm speaking with Michelle Merrill, the new music director of the Coastal Symphony Orchestra of Georgia. But you can hear her tonight, 8 o'clock, Harry Potter Orchestra Hall, Detroit Symphony Orchestra, DSO.org. Get a ticket now before they're gone and before she's gone. But you've already put together your season for next year yes. in Georgia. And I'm looking at it here. I see some Bernstein. Yes. Yeah, we're, we, we are celebrating, you know, these, these two years, uh, 2017 through 2019, the Bernstein at 100. And so I wanted to make sure this orchestra hadn't done a lot of newer music and they hadn't done, I don't think, any American music. And so especially with Bernstein, I wanted to make sure that we got in on this celebration and get our orchestra and our concert actually on the worldwide calendar of the events of the Bernstein at 100 on their website, which we did. And then pair that with Beethoven because... Yeah, look at this, Beethoven's fifth. Beethoven five. Go Be- figure. Exactly, because because Bernstein was such an advocate for all music, but of course he had this great affinity for Beethoven, and with the young people's concerts, would do a lot of explaining. So I thought they made a good pair. <laughs> uh, Prokofiev, uh, oh. Respighi, yes, Franz Schubert. Too bad you couldn't get any famous pieces. <laughs> uh, looks like a really fun season. Yes, uh, Mozart, of course, Tchaikovsky, of course. Uh, but how to relax with origami? Yes, and that was a, that was the first of the six pieces that were world premieres here this year. So Leonard Slatkin had done this, uh, where he wanted to commission pieces from students of famous composers yeah. that he had worked with, and this was I was. Um, had just been named, or not, I hadn't been officially named yet, but I knew I had been selected as the music director. And this was the first piece up on this series of new pieces. And I thought it was so great. And by Connor Brown, who's actually a student of Joan Tower, a former student mm. of Joan Tower. And it was such a fun piece that I wanted to get this on the program for the Georgia Orchestra because they hadn't really experienced any new music yet. And this is a piece that's very accessible. I think each of the movements is only. I mean, no more than about 30 seconds. Some of the movements are only 19 seconds or something like that. <laughs> and it just has it's, it has that name that sticks out. And so I've already done some um, talking at Rotary Clubs, Kiwanis Clubs, and speaking with the board. And everyone has brought up that piece to me and, say, and has said, I'm so excited about this piece. I can't wait to see what it's all about. So I'm hoping that we'll get to have some fun things around it. Maybe, you know, maybe add a little origami paper in the program that night. Yeah. Get everybody doing definitely. something. So. Could have a contest. Yes, that'd be good. Uh, this actually looks like a very nice program. This is the April 8th, 2019 program of the Coastal Symphony of Georgia with their new music director, Michelle Merrill. Uh, in addition to the Connor Brown origami piece, Samuel Barber's violin concerto, I love that. Copeland's fanfare for the common man and his Appalachian Spring Suite. 
And uh, just to send everybody out with a smile on their face, Three Dances from Out of the Town by Bernstein. Well, Maestro, uh, congratulations. I wish I could talk you into staying, but I know it's a great opportunity for you. And that's always the, the bittersweet thing about associate and assistant conductors is that normally it only lasts two to three years. I think I was actually lucky that I got to stay for a fourth year with it also being Leonard's last year. And so they asked me, I think at the end of my third year, would you be interested in staying for that fourth year? And I jumped at the chance, of course, because there's just something special going on in Detroit and I've loved being a part of it from my first day here. And it's it's going to be very sad to not be here as often and, you know, hopefully be able to come back as a guest conductor. But I'll always have memories of this as my home for sure. Michelle Merrill, thank you so much. Thank you, Chris.